Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. Even though we here in Austin live along the Balcones fault line, detectable earthquakes are pretty much a rarity in this part of Texas. But other parts of the world are not nearly so fortunate. You probably remember that earthquake near Japan just a few years ago that measured over nine on the Richter scale. It spawned a monstrous tsunami and a near-catastrophic destruction of a nuclear power plant. The damage and loss of life that occur in earthquakes and other such disasters remind us of the world-shattering, life-changing effects of such events. It also can lead us to consider the fact that St. Matthew, in his Gospel alone, records not just one, but two earthquakes related to the passion death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first is described in chapter 27. There, upon Jesus' death, Matthew writes, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection... They went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. The second earthquake is described in a less dramatic fashion in our gospel lesson for today. As Matthew says simply, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, For an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone. It is clear that in both the death and the resurrection of Jesus, God has done something that will shake up the world, that will change the course of history, and will turn our lives inside out. But then how can one describe the death and resurrection of Jesus if not as earth-shaking? And why? Well, first of all, because no one expects God to become a human being. And they certainly don't expect God to suffer, much less die, for the sins of those He created. Most radically of all, the dead don't come back to life. Because apart from Jesus, no one has yet ever been resurrected. Yes, there have been those few who were taken directly to heaven by God without experiencing the usual death, Enoch and Elijah, for example. And there were several people raised to life by Jesus during his ministry to demonstrate his compassion and his divine power, such as the widow's son at Nain, Jairus' daughter, and Lazarus. But those individuals all died again later on. We also have those in our own day who are brought back to life for a time as doctors and nurses lube up those paddles and place them on a body, shout clear, 
and shock life back into those whose hearts have stopped. But those are not resurrections. Those are only temporary restorations. Those persons will die again. But not so for Jesus. His resurrection was a rebirth into eternal life, such as He will never die again and will live forever. This is what Jesus promises to you and to me. We who have been baptized into His death and given the gift of faith, that trusting in His redeeming death for our sins, after our own deaths, we will be raised to live with Him eternally. This is incredibly earth-shaking and maybe even earth-shattering because it is so contrary to our experience with life and death where we do not see such things happening yet to others. But isn't that what faith entails? Trusting things not yet apparent? Not yet realized? Think for a moment how faith and trust work in your own relationships with others. When they follow a pattern of being reliable, of keeping their commitments to you and you to them, a level of trust develops. We begin to have confidence that we can count on them to do just what they have promised. Our faith in them grows until we trust them with more and more significant things like driving our car or caring for our children, perhaps even taking a risk with our heart in marriage. But when that trust is breached, when promises and commitments are not kept, when responsibilities given are not fulfilled, then the relationships are damaged. Now, if it's a rare occurrence, or if the breach is not too severe, or perhaps if the issue is not highly significant to us, that damage may turn out to be minor. But if these violations happen quite often, or are on something very important, or the result in some sort of catastrophic outcome, then the relationship may be irreparably harmed. But God has never violated. God has never broken His promises that He has revealed to us in the Scriptures, given to us through the prophets, evangelists, and apostles. He has fulfilled all of the prophecies, kept His Word, and He continues to sustain us day after day. Now you would think with such a track record as that, more people would come to faith and remain in faith, accepting the forgiveness offered in Christ's atoning crucifixion and the eternal life offered and promised in His resurrection should not be so hard to accept. But it is. And it's not just because it goes against everything we see daily. In part, it's because accepting those promises means that we are committed to a relationship with God. And that relationship comes with certain obligations, like admitting our own faults, accepting our place in humility, and surrendering our autonomy to His greater authority. Martin Luther wrote, This article of the resurrection of our Lord has suffered and still suffers the most opposition and is the most difficult to believe because nothing so contradicts experience as this does. For our eyes see that all the world is swept away by death and dies. Emperors and kings, high and low, young and old, and in a word, all the children of men, one after the other, are laid in the grave and buried. 
Luther continues, Hence it is difficult to believe that man who dies and perishes is to live again, that his body reduced to dust and ashes in fire, water, and soil are to be gathered again, and that his soul is again to live in the same body in which it lived before, and that he is to have the same eyes, ears, hands, and feet, except that the body, together with its members, is to have a different manner of existence. That, says Dr. Luther, is difficult to believe. We might say that it's not just difficult to believe in the resurrection, but that it's nearly impossible to believe, not only in Jesus' resurrection, but in our loved ones and in our very own. Such a concept, such an outrageous promise, the possibility that life can continue again after death, shakes and shatters our existence like a great earthquake. Yet that is the message of the Scriptures. And it is the message of the angel to those who were the first witnesses at the tomb. He calls Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, saying, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. And the angel ends by saying, This is my message for you. Matthew tells us that they went quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. A strange combination of emotions, wouldn't you say? The women went quickly, as the angel commanded, but with fear and with great joy. How do you go with fear, but also with great joy? Well, they go joyfully in spite of their great fear, because their world has been turned upside down. And they believed while still struggling with belief. Jesus had been dead. And now the angel tells them that he is alive. Thank God that Jesus himself then met them. And bid them not be afraid. For that must have helped them come to grips with this reality of his resurrection. Eventually they did go and tell the disciples that Jesus had been raised. Though our lives to this very day are still shaken by Jesus' death and resurrection, though we and all humanity continue to wrestle with the fact of the resurrection, Jesus comes to us this day. And he bids us, do not be afraid, but go and tell others that I am alive and they will see me. Most of us have not bargained for this, even on Easter Day. We get up on Easter morning and most of us, but not all, are excited to go and witness such a fine church festival. There's no better day in the church here than Easter after all. No wonder so many folks show up on Easter. If you're only going to go to church one Sunday a year, then Easter is the one. There's the great procession and all of the beautiful lilies, the brass and the choir and the handbells, and an Easter egg hunt and a delicious breakfast. What's not to like about Easter? Well, we don't like the part about being reminded of our sinfulness, our selfishness, and our greed. We don't like hearing about our ongoing rebellion against faithful participation in worship and in Bible study. We don't want to be challenged about our lack of financial support for the church because we think religion is a pay-as-you-go proposition. And the fact is, we don't often go. 
so we don't often pay, or we pay a mere pittance and don't help out much around the church either. We particularly want to avoid the tough news about just how rotten we are, how much we need regular confession and absolution, that we need a reminder to our connection to Christ's death and resurrection in our baptism, that we need the preaching of both law and gospel. We need to receive the body and blood of our Lord for our faith, our forgiveness, and our hope. We live in the illusion that we can be free agent Christians, flying solo, beholden to no one, not even to God. We delude ourselves into thinking that somehow it's possible for us to be a Christian apart from gathering with other Christians in worship. And we certainly don't want the preacher to tell us, you should go and tell others this news either. That would mean that we would have to interact with them about our faith. We would have to risk embarrassment and criticism, perhaps even sanction. Why lay that burden on us, Pastor? especially on Easter Sunday. Why? Because God has given us that task. The Scriptures tell us that the expected response to Jesus' crucifixion and His miraculous resurrection is to go and to tell others. First, the angel that the Lord sent says, go and tell. And then Jesus Himself says, go and tell. And so... Preachers who strive to preach God's Word, instead of telling their hearers just how wonderful their daily lives will be if they just strive harder and think positively, are repeating the Lord's message. All who have heard and all who have witnessed Jesus risen from the death are to go and to spread the good news that Jesus Christ is risen today. Peter is one of the first to affirm that as he preaches a sermon to the Gentiles telling them, We are witnesses to all that Jesus did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one. Similarly, this Easter Sunday, we are being called to be witnesses. You and I are called not to leave this church today the same as we came in. We are to be changed here by the presence of our risen Lord and Savior. Changed to live new lives. Raised with Christ to set our mind not on earthly things, but on the things of the kingdom of God. Not the least of these is living in the power of the resurrection. Being new beings in Christ Jesus. We are to live not hesitantly, Not fearfully, not living less than God has created us to be, but living boldly and courageously. We are to live Christ-like lives. Lives full of the hope that that is within us because Jesus lives. And yes, we are to be ready to be His witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to the ends of the earth. Going and telling and reminding each other that Jesus who was crucified, dead and buried, is now alive. We have been raised with Him to live new lives here and now, in this moment, today. But how does this happen? How are we transformed? How can we, humble and retiring and shy Lutherans, ever hope to be like our Ethiopian brothers and sisters, those returning home from all-day worship services, 
on fire for telling others in their village that life can be new in Christ Jesus. Go back for a moment to those earthquakes in Japan. And remember the great worry that there was about the possibility of nuclear power plants having their cores exposed and the radiation spreading and leaking throughout the entire land. That would have been a horrible outcome indeed. But it's a fitting image of how the earthquake that is the death and resurrection of Jesus can break through our hard external shells. The death and resurrection of Jesus ought to release the power that has been placed in our inner core by the Holy Spirit. So that radiating out from us is not harmful radiation, but the glowing good news that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Jesus' risen presence abides in us, in all who have been baptized into his death and his resurrection, in each of us who have received the gifts of his presence in word and sacrament. His powerful presence is in the core of our being. It is often held back and held in by our exterior shell, our fear, our embarrassment, our hesitation to let His presence change our lives and to change us so that we will go and tell others about Him. The aftershocks of Jesus' death and resurrection continue to shake us, though, and they eventually pound through our hard external shells. The earth still quakes beneath our feet, as we run to the tomb this Easter Sunday and fall down in front of the risen Jesus and worship Him. And so changed by His presence, transformed by His resurrection and shaken to the very core of our being by the living Jesus, the power of Christ will leak out of us. It will lead us to spread the good news. We will be His witnesses. We will go and tell others that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that all can see Him and believe in Him. All can receive the forgiveness of their sins through His name. All can be raised with Him who is Lord and Savior. In the very next verses of Matthew's Gospel account, Jesus sends us forth, giving the church her mission statement. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. The risen Lord is with you. The risen Lord is within you. Go therefore in His peace, His love, His power, and in His name. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.